Welcome to the Biz Bash podcast, where we make biz strategy a piece of cake. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Cammie, but you might know us better as Eliza and Calligraphy and Cammie Monet. We want to help you, our fellow stationers, artists, and calligraphers, confidently build a profitable and personality-driven creative biz. We're here to share our honest-to-goodness advice and actionable strategies for ambitious artists. So put on your party hat, quit being a procrastinator gator, and let's get this party started. Hey guys, welcome back to the BizBash podcast. Today we are doing some action steps, some big takeaways um, with some tips for growth for your creative business and how you can really utilize these things to actually start scaling. So we did an episode a couple weeks ago with the Modern Creative Podcast and it was all about what does scaling look like? What does growth look like? What's the difference? Um, And I feel like we just unpacked a lot of those I don't know, ideas and principles of that, but this episode is kind of like a part two to that with some tips and takeaways for things that you can actually be doing if you want to make those steps toward scaling. Yes, love it. I'm excited to talk about this. It's so funny because Cammy was like, I still have like a hundred things to talk about. <laughs> and I was like, that's fine. I was like, we'll just do a follow-up episode to like keep building on the awesome conversation we got started. Yeah, obviously, when there's four of us, there's not as much time to talk. and I didn't want to like just like take over with a million things. And the episode would have been like four hours long. So we thought it'd be better to just do like a follow up to that. So I can get it all out, you guys. Um, (laughs) And in this way, Cammie can really explain her thought process on growing versus scaling, because we totally all had like different perspectives of it, which was really funny. But I like what you've written here, Cammie, like, Seeing it written like this makes a lot of sense to me. Well, this is actually from the notes from the other episode. <laughs> oh, so so you talked about this exact thing. I did talk about this exact thing. Um, so I did talk about this in the other episode. I just want to reiterate it because I do think like understanding this um, is going to make what I'm saying make more sense. So okay. growing versus scaling, the difference here. So growing, when you're growing your business more money, more effort. Like your business is just getting bigger and bigger. Like you're hiring more people, but you aren't necessarily making any more money. Okay. So like you're still having increased costs because you're hiring someone or whatever. And then scaling is more money, but less effort. So not just growing for growth sake, but it can be managed. So like growing is like linear, whereas scaling is like exponential. Does this make sense? Love it. Yes. I don't know why it just like it clicks with me today. Good, good. I'm glad it clicks. So maybe it'll click with y'all today if you were confused on the last one too. Well, I think everyone got hung up on the hiring part. I think Um, so. I think they got hung up on that too. Yes. (laughs) Like including me, like I'm part of, yeah. I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. So you can like grow and scale. Wait, hold on. I'm confused. It's like how a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square. Kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know well, I mean? growing and scaling can both involve hiring people if you want yes, them to. Totally. But totally. the problem is that a lot of time growth, you're right, is very linear because it's like when you hire more people, you're paying their salary. So it's like that money that you're making kind of stays like level as opposed to like if you scale successfully, then you can really have like exponential kind of revenue. Yeah, exactly. And so many times we hear like other business owners and they say, oh, I hired someone. They get paid more than I do. I'm making less money now, but our business is getting bigger. And I'm like, that is not how I want my business to grow. Like, I don't just want to grow for growth's sake. Like, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I hired someone and we're doing triple the amount of sales, but I'm making less. Like that doesn't make sense to me. So yeah, your business <laughs> grew, like you're doing huge, but, but you're still not, that's not scalable. Uh huh. So yeah, 
my goal in business is to be scalable with my growth. And like, obviously, there's no like clear cut path to scaling and it's going to look different for everyone. This is just like what my like focus is on. So these are like some bullet points that we're going to go through where I have a lot of things to say. Okay. I'm excited. So number one is look for opportunities for repeatable selling. So in our industry as artists, this would be primarily like selling prints versus selling custom work all the time. You know, you can do an artwork once and sell hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prints versus if you do it as a custom piece, you're just selling it that one time. Yeah. Um, So that repeatable selling is crucial for actually being able to scale your business. Some other ways for repeatable selling um, in our industry, like licensing your artwork, or maybe you do the custom work, the original for someone, but then you also sell prints of it, which I'll do this. Like some of my artwork I do for wedding invitations, like florals, like sometimes I know it's going to be like a really cool piece. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this where I'm going to be able to sell prints of it as well. And like, that's part of our contract. And it's in the custom stationery contract um, that you do on your artwork. You continue to repeat sell it basically. Mm-hmm. So, or sometimes this might look like different product categories for the same artwork. Like my Christmas collection, I have the same artwork, but it's on five different product categories, mugs, tea towels, greeting cards, prints, and gift tags. So it's taking one thing and just utilizing it as much as possible, like squeezing every last bit, every last cent of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, all those points are great. Yeah, especially if you're like kind of product and art based, those are perfect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and obviously, like that is where my mind is, because I'm in the product space. But I think there's ways to look for repeatable selling in other parts of your business too. just something you can like package up and continue to sell over and over and over again versus the one time. Mm -hmm. For us, the custom business model is very, very hard to scale. Um, So it, it does become tricky with like custom invitations. You know, that's why it's like, oh, maybe you do want to introduce a semi-custom line or whatever, but that's like a whole other thing. But it is mm-hmm. pretty impossible to scale fully custom work. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Besides trying to find the clients that are going to pay more. Yeah. That's yeah. like the goal is find the higher paying clients who can take less. But still, like with expenses and everything, yeah, it doesn't scale very well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know what? I mean, since you said that, I'm going to make number three, number two, because now I feel like it goes. Okay. We talked about with, uh, what am I saying? Oh, with custom products. Yes. And you can't scale them, but you can, number two, raise your prices. So for custom artwork and custom stationery, the only way to truly scale that is by bringing a higher dollar amount. This one is obviously the easiest one to implement. Well, easy in terms of you can just do it. Like mentally, it's hard to raise your prices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is a really powerful lever that I think we forget about where you can increase your profits without increasing costs. And this one obviously applies to service-based businesses that are difficult to scale, like we mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was a perfect fit. Okay, I know. See, we'll just kind of rearrange this document. (laughs) Yeah. And then number three, you have written... These notes are like basically from Cami, which I love. It was like a surprise because I came in and I was like full of notes and I love it. I write all my notes like an hour before we record you guys. <laughs> like that's quite terrible. And I write them the night before, so there's not that much difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this number three is leverage digital or hands-off products in your business where applicable. 
And this is pretty great. It's pretty self-explanatory too, but these can be sold over and over and over with the same amount of cost, which means they're truly scalable. So you also don't have to worry about the expense necessarily. If you go digital anyways, you don't have to worry about the expense of like producing some sort of product or buying some sort of materials. And this is why I had like the USPS mailing agreement used to exist on my website. And I just retired my creating hand-lettered wood signs, like private YouTube series, but that was a digital product too. So I had a couple things that were making me money without me having to, you know, like really do any of the work. <laughs> yeah. And you had your workshop guide too, um, things oh, like yeah. that. So <laughs> leveraging those digital products, like maybe it is just like as simple as like a PDF guide of something like you're an expert in or, you know, or maybe you're selling like. I don't know, like a $5 supplies guide. I don't know, all kinds of things that could be like small, but add up or, you know, digital downloads on Etsy or doing like the creative market thing where you're putting the graphics there, things like that. And those things are truly scalable. So yeah, like I'm working on a font. Yes, that's so cool. That's gonna be awesome. We will so excited. I'm gonna use it on everything. (laughs) I love Elizabeth's calligraphy. It's my favorite. But oh, you're so um, sweet. Yeah. So digital or hands-off products, and for tangible products like actual ones that you are physically making. Um, when I think of like hands-off, this mentality kind of goes into like the manufacturing slash creation part of your business um, and thinking about long term. So like, let's say you get an order for one thousand of like one specific product. Like, could you actually deliver on that? Like quickly and like within the like an actual cost where you'd be making money because I think some people make all these products and they're like this is so great and it has like all these like bells and whistles and ribbons and glitter and all these crazy things that require a lot of hands-on work for one thing you know versus like if you were selling a thousand greeting cards are you able to like get that quickly manufactured and like get those out the door does this make sense (laughs) I think so okay yeah just like the manufacturing part needs to be like easily replicated so for like large quantities so like greeting cards would be much easier in quantities of a thousand than mugs (laughs) well i mean mugs you could also get those fairly quickly but i'm saying like okay so for example um my card boxes that i used to sell i used to do this whole thing where i do this like special ribbon and like do the special bow like on them where it was like really really cute they looked great but like if i sold a thousand card boxes and i had to tie all these ribbons that's really not like it's way easier to do without the ribbon so it's basically like the ribbon wasn't adding any value to the product to justify the time and it's going to slow down the production so like you just have to think in terms of like packaging everything like how can you do this as quickly as possible for scalability because you never know you could get a wholesale order in for like five thousand greeting cards and it's like if you're printing those on your little computer at home and like individually cutting each one you know and doing an (laughs) envelope liner in the envelopes like that's going to be harder to scale than working with like a large print shop and like getting them pre-scored or whatever. So those kinds of things. <laughs> yes. Okay. That makes much more sense. That's perfect. <laughs> okay. Great. I'll let you introduce the next one because I know you're probably yes, really excited. I love this one. <laughs> Number four is create as many workflows, processes, and automations as possible. Yay! <laughs> so yeah, this is amazing because, for example, sending an email to 10,000 people is scalable and very easy, and sending a letter to 10,000 people is not. <laughs> That's going to take a ton of time, and for you parks and rec people out there, the scene that comes to mind is when Leslie's like doing her campaign and Jerry 
is sitting there stuffing and licking envelopes. And he's just doing it over and over and over. But then he realizes after he's done, God knows how many of these, that he put like the wrong mailer in the wrong envelope. (laughs) And he's like, oh, well, guess I have to start again. Like he's the most positive character ever. And Donna, this other character is just sitting there like, this is fascinating. Like she's just sitting there with popcorn watching him do this. But it's like if they had sent out emails that would have taken just a matter of like minutes as opposed to like hours. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> this this type of strategy makes it a lot easier to do a lot of things with little help and to easily pass that on in the future for someone else to manage. So like Cami has her VA now who's starting to do some emails for her and they are so cute and I'm obsessed. Yeah, like once you have those workflows and like just, I mean, workflow is such a fancy sounding word, but it's really just like listing out the way you do things. Be like, okay, number one, when like if I get a bride, I know I'm going to do this, 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 like I do this step and then this step and just writing it out and knowing what you do and just like always having that process in place and just kind of like tweaking it till it gets better and more fluid and more able. Like if someone came in and was like, what do I do when a client books with me? Like if she was my VA, if I brought her into the wedding side of things, I could be like, here's the list of things to do. Like they know exactly what to do. I'm not like reinventing the wheel with every single client. I'm like, what do I do now? Like, ah, you know, I have like my mm-hmm. email set up and like which order the process of things I do things, the order of operations. Okay. So yes. having those things in place makes it just it saves so much time in the long run and just like standardizes your business, which ultimately is what leads to scalability. And I'm yes. going to go off on this whole side tangent right now because <laughs> this, is, this is relevant. It is a relevant side tangent, but okay, I'm I'm so ready. We all know like McDonald's, right? And do you know the story of like how McDonald's was founded by Ray Kroc? Well, he didn't found it, but he kind of like well, made the he, yes, of it. I watched this documentary last August, or not the documentary, but like the, the feature film, the, the founder movie. that movie. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. And it's very interesting. It is. So he's a horrible person, but also a great person. Like he steals it from the brothers, but we're just going to ignore that part right now, basically, because he is such an icon of scalability. I really think he is like the person who like revolutionized what it looks like to be efficient and have processes and created the whole franchise idea, basically. So Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much to learn from him. And I just find like the whole story super fascinating. Um, so some of the things he did that we can totally apply to our own business, he standardized all the cooking procedures so that new employees could easily learn them. Um, they used assembly line production, like the automobile factories, like that's what he was inspired by, which was a totally new idea for the food industry. Oh, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I'm just listening because <laughs> like, it's so interesting. Oh, I know it's fast. I didn't know if you were going to I was just thinking of this. the movie all over again. No, yeah. I didn't. Sorry. I didn't chip in because I was just like, yeah, no. this is so interesting. I was so I know. into it. It <laughs> is. It's very cool. So like thinking about how you could standardize something so that new employees could easily learn. And because they had so many quote unquote machines and automations, which for us would be like using things like Dubsado and whatever, email marketing, it freed up time to focus on the quality of the product. Like they were really big on like having the best hamburger and using like the best meats and like everything had like a perfect ratio of ingredients. Like they were really focused on that so that the customer, when they came, they had the best experience possible. Um, So they had the time to do that because they utilized automations. And another cool thing is he would constantly innovate and tweak small things and look for ways to save money. Um, like one of the big examples would be when he they had the, the ice cream that they would have to store and it costs money in the freezers to store it, yada, yada, yada. 
So then he swapped to using this like powdered version of a milkshake. But even though I think they eventually went back to the regular ice cream, but he was just always looking for like tiny, tiny little details of how can I save money here? How can I lower my bottom line to increase the profit? And some of these things where we might be bleeding money in our business of like little tiny things, like maybe you signed up for something that you're paying $10 a month for you don't even use. If you got rid of that, you know, this is like all adds up to the path of scaling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then another thing they did to for their business model is they cut down the menu to only focus on hamburgers. I don't know what they had before, but I know they had more than just hamburgers. So they were focusing on just one product, which was like crazy at the time to like do just one thing. But a takeaway from that is one product done really, really well and marketed amazingly with great quality is better than two that are just done like eh, they're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and then the. Big key here in terms of scalability is standardization. So this can easily apply to us in unique ways. For example, like I have standardized my shipping boxes. Like I'm really conscious of what products I add on to my line because I need them to easily ship and package them with my standard size boxes. So if I added in like a really wonky shape, like I started offering like, I don't know, two foot by three foot canvases into my business, (laughs) then I'm going to have to like look at you know, how am I going to ship these? How am I going to add that into the process? Like, can I use that giant box for more than just this one product? You know what I'm saying? So like Mm -hmm. using multiple boxes for different products. So that was something I standardized. I basically have four different things I use for mailing and that's it, um, which makes it um, really easy for me to get shipping rates and all that good stuff, quickly package up, find things that are going to fit. So it's kind of a domino affecting your business, like what you can standardize and and just kind of streamline from there. Yeah, you want to set yourself up up for success early on so that you're not constantly having to like unwind and redo things. So like the perfect example of this is when people wait like way too long to implement some sort of client management strategy in their business, like Dubsado. <laughs> yeah. They've usually spent a lot of time like building almost their own system. Like I've seen this before. They've like built their own thing on their site. They have spreadsheets. They're doing this and that. And then they basically have to like unwind all of that hard work to rebuild and to relearn and figure out how to use Dubsado essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's like the earlier on that you can kind of preemptively try to think about that stuff, the better. Like I got Dubsado within like a month of going full-time, I think. Like, and I didn't even have that many clients at that point, but it didn't matter to me because I wanted to be set up for success in the long run. Yeah, exactly. And I was just reading some sort of article. um, I don't know what it's about. Something about like growth and scaling, like with businesses and how like the best businesses utilize specialized systems that are like made for that specific task. So like, yeah, that like in your example, you talked about someone like, oh, maybe they have spreadsheets and all these other things that are like, to keep their clients organized, but you know, and it seems like they have like a workflow or process in place, but maybe it's not the best. But if you use something that's specialized, like Dubsado, that's specifically made for this one purpose, it's going to go so much further because it's already like anticipating the needs before you have to like figure it out yourself and like bootstrap it. So use mm-hmm. utilizing specialized systems for those things is going to be really helpful too in terms of scaling. Yes, agreed. Are you ready to push the envelope in your stationary biz and finally get the answers you're looking for? We're bringing together industry leaders in one place with a virtual conference anyone can attend. 
The Stationer Summit is an online game changer with session topics that are for stationers by stationers. And with 18 different educators, you can't afford to miss this. We've got all the names you love, such as Swell Press, Design House Amora, Papel & Co, Design by Laney, and so many others. And you guys, they are here to bring you the answers you can't get anywhere else. It's time to break down the walls of the stationery industry and open the door for anyone and everyone. We believe there is room for all of us at the table and we're offering you a virtual seat. And of course, we'll be there too, talking about everyone's favorite topic, pricing for custom stationery. During 2020, registration for the Stationer Summit will be opening twice at the price of $4.97. This includes all the educator sessions as well as additional Q&A educator recordings that have been added to the student portal. Join the 900 plus students that have already signed up for the summit. Visit stationersummit.com for more information on registration dates and to get on the waiting list. So number five, I feel like plays off of something you said in the Ray Kroc story, which is do one thing really, really well. So this can be tempting to like add a million things or a new service or product or diversify everything. Because I think we hear about that a lot, like diversify your offerings, like people are always recommending to do that, but it's not always like the best decision. So like, for example, right now, I'm thinking about how I'm going to like strategize with my wax seals going forward. And I even asked Cammie, I was like, do you think I could wholesale, like have a catalog, but it's just like one thing, like only my wax seal stamps. Like, can I do that without (laughs) even doing any other products? Like that is an example where it's like, I would want to do one thing really, really well and not like pull in other things until I was ready to, which I think there's quite a few paper companies out there like which what's the one cami where they just started with the confetti do you know what i'm talking about thimble press i think so wasn't that like her thing for a long time it wasn't what they like first started with but it became like the best-selling product for them and so they just honed in on that to really grow that and i think they just kept adding more and more stuff like now they have so much stuff in their line but i think that was like their product that just skyrocketed them basically so Mm -hmm. focusing on that one product and doing it better than anyone else different than anyone else can definitely like like I said she has other stuff in her line but she really focused on growing this one first and doing it better than anyone else or like totally unique in her case so -hmm. like staying small and nimble in terms of your offerings sometimes we're like oh I just want to add a million things but staying small can do wonders and as you begin the process of scaling like adding in another product category sometimes isn't a catalyst to scale so just keep that in mind I mean you know it's good to grow it's good to diversify but in terms of scaling why not be focused for a little bit you guys (laughs) yeah this is actually a big part of our strategy with biz birthday bash Like we've Mm -hmm. always kind of come from the mindset of less is more and the products that we offer you guys, we want them to be done super, super well. Like this is not about quantity for us. It's about quality, which is why like our three main things are like the business sense for creatives bundle, the A to Z directory and the custom stationary contract. And like, yeah, we added the USPS mailing agreement and we hosted the stationer summit. But those like three things are the core of our business and like our strengths. And we just continue to build off of those and like make the membership better and do those things like to the best of our abilities before doing a million other things. I don't know. Like I feel like if we started a YouTube channel, that'd totally be like, what? 
what are they doing? Like, that's too broad. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like, okay, now they're spread so thin on all these things. Like, basically, the goal here is to focus on your core strengths. You know, in my business, I got rid of calligraphy. Like, I only focus on watercolor. Like, that, like a core strength doesn't necessarily have to be one product. Like, my core strength is watercolor. Like, everything I do is revolved around watercolor. I'm not going to, like, start adding in, like, calligraphy vowels or something like that because it just, like, doesn't go to the main goal of being the best at watercolor. <laughs> So mm-hmm. everything kind of goes back to that. And I know like when I think about this, I know at some point my business model is going to have to shift because I have, you know, basically two business models at this point. So I'm like, at some point, something's going to have to shift more and I am going to have to just like focus on products or focus just on stationery or whatever. Um, and I know that, but for right now I'm enjoying doing both, but I know to like eventually scale like the way I want to scale which is working less and making more money, <laughs> then I'm going to pick one. Because <laughs> you're at this point, you're talking about how your two things are like you're doing custom with the invitations and you're also yeah. doing products. Yeah. 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 But that's a case where you do both things really, really well. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Well, they all come down to, like you said, the commonality of watercolor. And that is like what yeah. everything is based off of. And you've almost like, in a way, you kind of have standardized your wedding invitations because like the one thing that's really different about every invitation is your watercolor artwork but the rest of it is like you use pretty much the same paper stocks like the same envelopes like you know where you get your ribbon like you kind of have a method to your suites like all of the like basis for materials are really Mm -hmm. common whereas like for me like I do a lot of I don't know, printing with like colored papers in white ink or foil or letterpress. And for you, it's like, it's pretty much solely digital printing for the most part. Like, I mean, you've kind of like is. cornered yeah. that, you know? I, yeah. I mean, I really have like standardized my invitation process. Like I know exactly what I'm going to do. I know exactly the paper type I'm going to use. I know exactly I'm going to get it printed. Like I know like the same size like I don't do a lot of like deviation from the norm in terms of that like I let the mm-hmm. watercolor be the the shining you know the thing that makes it cool but I don't really do like a ton of other stuff which has honestly that was a very conscious choice too for me like it never made sense for me to do all kinds of different like I try I think I like dabbled in that a little bit but I just really prefer having this like standardized process and it makes it so easy for me to relay that information to my clients as well Mm -hmm. Um, so it is easier for me to like take on multiple clients at the same time because I, I don't, I'm not sourcing, you know, a different printer or a different paper type every single time. Like I just Mm -hmm. like have the same thing. You're not reinventing the wheel. Yeah. You're not. It's just like you're putting in the artwork and what makes that suite unique to the client, but everything else is like the same. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It really is. It's amazing. So that has allowed you to like in a sense, like scale your invitations yeah, by having such a good grip on that. Yeah, exactly. But there is like a ceiling to that scale. You know what I mean? Like I can keep going and going and going, but like there is like a point where I'm like, I I could only do like 20 a a year, like max. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I literally cannot paint any faster, like manage all the time of that, you know? But yeah, you can't scale. You can never scale your like artistic talent. (laughs) Yeah, I can never scale like the painting process. Now, if I brought someone in who like literally handled every single other part of that invitation process besides the painting, then yes, I could probably scale more and I would raise my prices to reflect this, you know, but like, I don't know. So it's a lot to think about. It's like a lot of like numbers and like checks and balances. It's a lot of numbers because right now you get like all of that design fee and all of that 
money you know that you're making on the materials and stuff too whereas like if you hired someone like they're going to take a really good chunk of that so right (laughs) exactly so it's like yes i could take on more but uh, i don't know speaking (laughs) of like hiring people etc why don't you do number six okay so number six is to fire yourself from the everyday task or at least be thinking about how you can fire yourself in the future (laughs) so Yeah, I know that sounds like really harsh to fire yourself, but (laughs) (laughs) basically that's what you want to do. And as solopreneurs, this can be the hardest part is to letting go of tasks that someone else could theoretically do. So I do have a VA now and it's still like, even though I have her there and I trust her completely, it's still really hard for me to give up some of the tasks that I know she could be doing. So as I started thinking about hiring somebody... I started writing down things that someone else could do while I, like while I was doing them like I'd be doing something like oh someone else could totally do this for me like I don't have to be a part of this and just like kept a running list so I was like prepared so I could define the type of role I was hiring for um, my role was still kind of all over the map so it wasn't like super defined but it did help me understand like okay here's what I could be doing here's what I could outsource out here's what something I do want to outsource but I don't want to I don't want to let go of it or whatever <laughs> like mm-hmm. Um, But just thinking about those things ahead of time and how you can make it really easy to pass on to that person. Um, Like I do now when I do a task of something that like I'm like, oh, I could give this to Jacqueline to do. I'll I'll just make a loom video of me doing it and be like, okay, here's how I do it and just like talk about it. And then I can give that to her and she can like watch it over and over again. And if I hired someone else, we'll have that like loom library that they can refer back to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's perfect. That's almost like automating your like training in a way, you know, because then it's like, you're not, you don't have to repeat that every time. It's like, if she needs something, she can go back and look at that little resource library. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't ever like hop on live and we do like a training. Like I just create a loom video and I'm like, if on the task, I'll just be like, here's the link to the loom video to explain further. And she just does it. Like it's really amazing. Yeah. That's really nice. Um, Yeah. So the goal eventually in your business is to handle the tasks that only you can do. Like, and you have to be totally honest with yourself. What can you only do? And for me, the thing that only I can do in my business is painting. Obviously, no one else can Mm -hmm. do that. Like, I have to do that. I have to have my hands in that. But everything else, I mean, theoretically, I could outsource it. You know, designing invitations. Do I want to outsource that? Heck no. But theoretically, I could just do the artwork and have someone else doing all the layouts and proofs and all that stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. But the thing is, like, I don't think anyone could ever do it as fast as you because you're a wizard. I know. That's, that's the, the thing. problem is, like, <laughs> at this point, it's like, yes, someone else could do it, but only you can do it the way, like, you I do know. it. I know. See, that's one so of those things where it's, like, efficient. I'm, like, a painting would be, like, 100% only I can do, and then, like, the designing is, like, 85% only I can do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's, like, a meter, kind yeah, of. Like, it yeah. moves along this, like, scale of the percentage of, like... Yeah how much you could do it compared to somebody else. But I would say that's part of like what makes you so like efficient though, is the way you do your design stuff. So it's like, I don't know if like hiring someone to do that would actually help you. I think it would like make you slower. I think I would not like it. I agree. I feel like I'd be like, oh my gosh, just move this. Like I would be like the worst client to them basically. Cause I'd be like, you're not doing it right. Yeah. And we have one more awesome point, unless you had anything else to say about that part, Uh, Cammie. No, I think I'm done on that one. Okay. (laughs) 
I was like making sure. Oh, wait, I wanted to say this number six like points back really well to our episode with Sarah of Signet Sealed because she, the whole fulfillment thing, which Mm -hmm. like Cammie might think about someday. It's fascinating. And that's shipping is an everyday task. So if you guys want to know more about that and like fulfillment, listen to the episode with Sarah of Signet Sealed. It was so good. I can tell you the exact episode right now. It was episode 50. Yes. Okay, so keep that in mind. All right, so the last point is be proactive versus reactive. And this means you're just trying to anticipate any challenges and having solutions in place before things happen and go all wrong. (laughs) They go all wrong. So like an easy example of this would be like having your canned emails ready to go. So you're not typing out the same thing over and over and over again. Like as you go through your business, you notice you start to say the same things over and over again. So why not make them a canned email and save yourself the little five minutes it takes to say the same thing over and over again? Or like maybe having a stationary guide, like a little PDF that answers all the client's questions so they don't have to keep asking them to you. You know, just always like anticipating what the client or customer is going to ask before they even do it or what's going to happen and already having that like a solution in place to just be like, oh, I already have that. You don't even have to ask it. Here you go. (laughs) Here you go. Ta-da. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. Like those little things are a huge time saver. And I love being able to send people like the 2020 wedding guide that I put together because I'm like, here's everything you need to know, basically. And that's something that goes out to anyone like prior to them thinking about hiring me. So what I could do is like another version that's like completely geared towards clients. Yeah. Like what the client gets on their end once they have booked with me to let them know more about like what to expect going forward. And then what's this other part you have, Cami? Oh, yeah. Another so, part of the reactive so this is like using the same like be proactive versus reactive, but just in another sense. So another way to be proactive versus reactive is when you're being reactive and selling to anyone and everyone and having to change your structure slash workflow each time, that does not lead to scalability. So basically I'm saying like, pick the type of clients, like know who you're selling to. So for example, like, like me, if I was trying to sell, like being reactive to what the client wants, and they're like, I want letterpress and foil, and this goes in a box, and this is leather printed or printed on leather or whatever, like, that would be maybe like, okay, I'll figure out how to make that work, you know, even though I don't really do that, versus being like, no, that's not what I offer. I offer watercolor, like, that's me being proactive towards the type of clients I work with. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So you're not changing everything all the time and always scrambling how to figure out like what your business looks like. You just need to be like confident in what you offer and that you offer it really, really well. Yes, exactly. Like you sent me a lead that wanted letterpress and that was perfect because you were like, yeah, I've done it once before and I'm good. Like I'm going to like stay in my lane. And, and that suite turned out so beautiful. It was gorgeous, but it really did like it broke up your workflow so much because there was so much stress that went into like trying to have to understand that print method and like what you were doing wrong. And it was like very stressful. And like, I love letterpress, but I don't think it like does my work justice as much, you know, like I'm not like a letterpress designer and like, you know, and of course it'd be like, it had like some watercolor flat printed on it, but not as much as I like. So I just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, So yeah, so just like being, proactive and not selling to anyone and everyone. This is like a whole other like thing we could unpack, but I'm just going to like leave it at that because we talk a lot about this in our business sense for creatives bundle as well. When we talk about clients and um, like finding the right people you want to work with. And that's only $97. You guys, you want to go check it out. 
Yes. That kind of impacts this idea a little bit more, but yeah. So, perfect. I (laughs) think we have covered all of this. I know. I think we nailed it. It was great. It was to the point. I loved all of your bullet points and your numbers and... Yeah, I know this can sound like super scary for a lot of people out there that it's like, how do I do this? Especially it can sound kind of like counterintuitive, especially to us that are like have more of those like artist brains or go with the flow people, which is so funny because like, Cammie, you're totally more of like a go with the flow spontaneous person. But when I actually look at your business and the way you've standardized things, you've done so well. Like, I think you've done even better than like you realize. (laughs) Well, like the, the thing I think about here, it like it really liberates you to focus on actually getting to be do the creative work and do all the fun stuff because I'm not like trying to figure out a different process every single time. Like I've yeah. made it really easy on myself. And so it is scary to be like, oh, I have to come up with a process, but like those processes will come up naturally. You just have to like really lean into them and like, I don't know, turn it like basically. Okay, so this is a weird example, but I used to have this dog and his name was Lacant and he's a border collie. <laughs> and we had horses growing up. And he literally had his like one task every day was like herd our horses. And he would literally run the same path over and over and over again for hours. Like we would have like these huge ruts <laughs> and ditches in the yard. And the only way that he would stop running the same paths is my dad would put hay bales in the middle of the path. So we'd have to like go around because <laughs> it was like really bad. I mean, like ditches that were like, really deep like people would trip over them. <laughs> like uh-huh. there was like, this one part where like the rainwater would come in so it like became like this gully so we had to like really block him from running in that same spot but <laughs> he'd become so used to like he like standardized his, his little path and he knew exactly what he was gonna do and, like he never even had to think about it and that's what I think about with my processes I'm just like running that same path and just running into a rut so deep where like it becomes second nature and the only way someone's gonna get me to move is they put a hay bale in the middle <laughs> I hope that helped you guys. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love that so much. I actually just made a mental note, Cami. Like, well, I actually I wrote it down on our podcast sheet that it it will be great to talk in the future about how you make the decision to introduce a new product and deviate from your like said oh, path yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Specifically like with your notepads. So I know okay. we had talked about that before. So that'll definitely come up. Um, looks like that's something that'll maybe come up in April when we talk about that. But okay. that'll be a really fun episode. Yeah, definitely. And I am in. I am very proud of us. Um, that was a great episode. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. And if you are loving the podcast, which we hope you are, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. That is so helpful. It makes sure that we get in front of other creatives, basically. And then if you have questions for us, the best place to ask those is bizbirthdaybash.com forward slash Q and cake. And you can submit questions for our Q and cake episodes that happen every five weeks. And you guys have asked so many great questions. We still haven't even like gotten to all of the ones that were asked in 2019. (laughs) I don't know if we'll ever be able to, but like we love doing them. And even for this next round coming up, I think I added like, one more question than than usual in the oh, getting fancy. In the spirit of trying to like answer more. Um, <laughs> so we love you guys and hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. Toodaloo, kangaroo. Bye. 
Hey guys, you know we share a ton of free, helpful info here on the podcast, but if you're looking to go deeper, you need our Business Sense for Creatives bundle. This is our foundational resource. We share it all. Our pricing strategies, marketing plans, our favorite print partners, real life examples of our invoices and workflows, and so much more. Literally, it is amazing. (laughs) It really is the comprehensive guide for a money-making creative business. So with the bundle, you'll get access to our three webinar replays, Pricing with Purpose, How to Be Confident When It Comes to Charging Your Worth, People in Publicity, How to Find Clients and Deliver an Awesome Experience, and lastly, Productivity and Processes, How to Run Your Business Efficiently and Get Crap Done. And not to mention, you'll also get our three bonus PDF party favors. What, what? Um, You've heard (laughs) from students that these are worth the price of it alone. So the party favors are pricing FAQs, the SEO cheat sheet, and a mini favorite vendor's guide to get you started on where to print invitations. So just to clarify, that is not only three awesome video recordings, but three bonus PDFs as well that support the content from the videos. So I think it's a pretty good deal. Totally. It's the best deal out there. And you have lifetime access to it, which also adds to the whole value. So (laughs) woohoo! don't take it from us, though. Take it from the hundreds of students who have learned from the bundle and have said that these were the best, most real and informative webinars that they've ever watched. We've seen students double their prices after watching these and totally skyrocket their businesses. This is our roadmap of how we got to where we are today. So skip the mistakes and speed bumps, doing it the slow way, and let us put you on the fast track to running a creative biz like a boss and pricing for profit and not just pay. And the best part, this resource is less than $100. Seriously, y'all, it's only $97 and it's so worth that price and much more. So go to bizbirthdaybash.com forward slash bundle to purchase it today. 